What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 129, Hard Knock Life. Today, we take a look behind the curtain in the time of Akhenaten. The king's propaganda paints a rosy image of beauty and majesty, but excavations at his city, Arket Aten, paint a far different picture. In this episode, we dig into the realities of life at Pharaoh's capital. This episode was supported by Bill, Terry, and Richard, who became patrons of the podcast at the overseer and higher levels. Folks, you are too kind. Thank you for your support. I hope the R10 will shine upon you and your households, and keep you safe from all harm. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. On with the show. The year was 1349 BCE, approximately. Regnal year 14 under the majesty of Neferkeperura Wa Enra, the son of Ra, Akhenaten. It was nine years since the pharaoh, beloved of Aten, had abandoned the traditional royal cities and moved to a new capital. For nearly a decade, Akhenaten had focused his time, energy, and efforts on building and expanding the city of Aket Aten. The horizon of Aten was a new home for the sun god and the ruler of Egypt. In the years since he moved here, Akhenaten's city had grown rapidly. When the king relocated, many others followed him. High officials, influential courtiers, bodyguards, and servants all came as part of the royal household. In turn, every powerful family brought their own people to Arket Aten. The wealthy elites had their own networks of underlings and dependents. They brought servants, artisans, and labourers as part of their extended households. These people followed their masters and patrons and came to Arket Aten. Willingly or unwillingly, thousands of people moved to the new city. As a result, Aket Aten grew large very quickly. By regnal year 14, the population had swelled to approximately 20 or even 30,000 people. Quite impressive in such a short span of time. If you studied this city from the perspective of its art, Aket Aten would seem like a prosperous and happy place. In many scenes, Akhenaten emphasized the wealth and prosperity of his kingdom. When the pharaoh came to the temples, making offerings to Aten, we see tables piled with bread, meat, vegetables, and drink. Akhenaten and his family ate well, and their physical features emphasized pot bellies and heavy thighs. At every turn, images conveyed the idea that the king, and by extension his kingdom, were wealthy, 
abundance was plentiful, and they received the blessings of Aten with all good things. The city's wealthy elites, Akhenaten's hereditary nobles and officials, repeated that pattern. In their tombs, the highest officials show similar scenes to Akhenaten. Tables grown under the weight of food, and family members or servants offer food and drink to the souls of the dead. The message is one of prosperity, an eternal supply of nourishment, delicacies, and all good things. It is a pretty picture, one that we see in Egyptian tombs from every period of history. Of course, these images are more like a wish rather than a reflection of reality. The banquets and offerings are an idea which the ancients hoped they would receive in the next life. In the modern era, we must read these paintings carefully. They do not reflect the true lifestyles of Akhenaten or his people. To get a glimpse behind the art, we can also look at texts. In episode 122, we read the letters of a man named Ramosa. Ramosa, a low-level official, wrote messages to his family members, complaining about his personal issues while living at Arket Aten. These letters gave us a window into the life of one man living in the new city. Among other things, his messages conveyed a sense of loneliness or isolation that he felt at his new home. Texts like this are useful. They give us a hint at the realities of life. They let us peek behind the curtain and see the emotional situation of people living at the city. While he was physically comfortable, Ramosa still suffered in some respects. Life was not a bed of lotuses. But even Ramosa's letters give us a minuscule window into the realities of life. In economic terms, Ramosa was doing quite well. He worked in a royal palace, making valuable products for the princess Merit Aten. So he was wealthy, or at least wealthy-ish. He could read and write, or he could afford to pay a scribe to write for him. In that sense, even these wonderful letters reflect the lifestyles and priorities of the wealthy people in this community. So we have a problem. The artistic imagery and the written records convey ideas about life in Aket Aten, but they only reveal glimpses, and they focus on a tiny segment of the population. If we wanted to learn about the rest, the ordinary or common folk, quote-unquote, where would we go? How do we learn about the people who lived in this city? Well, to find that material, we have to visit cemeteries. East of Arket Aten, limestone cliffs ring the city, and these cliffs hide the burial places for thousands of people. In shallow graves and makeshift tombs, the people of Arket Aten found their own ways to reach eternity. These graves show up in vast cemeteries, and archaeologists exploring these cemeteries have uncovered a huge amount of material. Skeletons, coffins, gravestones, and ornaments give us a glimpse at the lives of ordinary people. You know, the ones who actually made Arket Aten work. Today, I want to focus on their stories. Our first stop is a cemetery located southeast of Arket Aten's centre. This is called the South Tombs Cemetery, and it has been a focus of archaeological exploration since around 2005. The South Tombs Cemetery may not look like much, there are no monuments or buildings to catch the eye, 
But look closer, and you will see a site of unparalleled significance. It is well worth your time. First, let me set the scene. Imagine yourself standing on a hill east of Arket Aten. You are facing west, with the limestone cliffs at your back, and the desert stretching out before you. In the far distance, the city of Arket Aten covers the horizon, its suburbs and monuments clustering along the Nile. They are far away, you do not need to worry about them. For now, focus on what is in front of you. Standing on this hill, you can look out at a dry, sandy valley. The site is an old riverbed, or wadi, and its hills rise and fall. Along the slopes, the South Tomb Cemetery stretches out, a vast spread of graves covering a wide area. You are looking at an enormous burial ground covering the hills and valley. It is dry, windy, and empty, an out-of-the-way area separate from the city and suburbs. It is the perfect place for an urban cemetery. The graves of this cemetery are marked out with mounds. Low, white hills made of sand and stone pepper the hillside. These mounds mark the location of individual graves. You see, the people who went into these burials could not afford monuments or elaborate markers. Instead, their family members protected the graves with piles of sand and stone. Chunks of rubble and rough stone sourced from quarries and hillsides made a simple but effective mound, or can, over the grave. This can served two purposes. It marked the location, and it protected the burial from wild animals, who might dig the body up. The rough stones may not look like much, but these are the tools that poorer folk used for security. So we have a dry river valley with hundreds of mounds covering the sandy slopes. These graves are humble, and I doubt many tourist buses visit the site. Nevertheless, there is a lot of information hidden here, and thanks to two decades of research, we are starting to get insights. Let's explore. The people buried in this cemetery generally did not have a luxurious afterlife. They went into the ground in more humble circumstances. To begin with, very few of the graves here had coffins in the traditional sense. Wood was expensive, and most people could not afford it as a burial container. Instead, they used a kind of matting to support the bodies. This matting was made from reeds and linen, and it served as a makeshift coffin, protecting the body from damage or intrusion. It was not fancy or glamorous, but it did the job. Within the burial itself, objects and ornaments were limited. There were beads and amulets, and occasionally small figurines, maybe shabti. These people were not wealthy, they made do with what they had, and when they died, their relatives buried them with whatever goods they could afford to give. Remember, every object placed in a burial is one that the living can no longer use. For these people, being frugal was probably a necessity. So the South Tomb Cemetery is a burial place for the non-wealthy people, which makes it incredibly valuable, because it gives us a record outside of the privileged, elite sections of society. Studying these graves, archaeologists can get a sense of the realities that defined the ordinary lives. But graves themselves only tell part of the story. What about the people within them? Well, here is where it gets interesting. Researchers studying the South Tomb Cemetery have spent years analysing the bodies recovered from these graves. 
Hundreds of skeletons from adults and children give us a glimpse at real human stories. Examining these remains, archaeologists and anthropologists can reconstruct life for the people in the city. Unfortunately, the results are a little bit dark. The people buried in these ordinary graves lived a hard life. To begin with, they suffered a range of ailments, and many of the bodies show evidence for malnutrition. People were not getting enough food, or not getting the right kinds of food, and this lack of nutrients shows up in their skeletons. According to forensic analysis, these people were lacking in many vitamins and minerals. They had iron deficiencies, and some of them had scurvy. Scurvy, caused by lack of vitamin C, is a painful and debilitating condition. It can lead to anemia, a lack of red blood cells, with knock-on effects ranging from physical exhaustion, pain in the limbs, swelling in some parts of the bodies, ulcers on the gums, loss of teeth, and even spontaneous bleeding. Yikes. These issues affected them in many ways, and they also affected the people's growth. Research on the bodies finds that, on average, the people of Akhet Aten were shorter than other Egyptians of the time. This is particularly noticeable with the children. The bones of an eight-year-old, for example, are significantly smaller than similarly aged skeletons from other communities. It seems that people had trouble acquiring the necessary nutrients for growth. Poor diet and ill health conspired to make Amana's population a little bit stunted. So right out the gate we have evidence for difficult lives. Malnutrition leading to illness and a stunted rate of growth suggest that people were having trouble getting what they needed. These people were suffering from long-term conditions. And, looking even further, it seems like their lifestyles did not help at all. Beyond the malnutrition and the illnesses, the lifestyles of the ordinary people are visible in their bones. Looking at the skeletons and the physical characteristics, researchers can get a sense of day-to-day -day activities and the influences on these people's bodies. What they find is not always pleasant. To begin with, the skeletons of the southern cemetery show huge evidence for trauma. Physical stresses on the limbs and torso probably result from long days hauling or carrying heavy loads. We do know that workers at Amana had to do a lot of physical labour, the artistic scenes show men carrying limestone blocks, talatat, which Akhenaten used for his monuments. And the sheer scale of building an entire city from scratch must have been punishing in terms of physical labour. The workers weren't hauling enormous blocks like on a temple or the pyramids. The new style of talatat was something small enough for one person to carry. Still, they are large chunks of stone which were heavy on the shoulders and the workers' skeletons reveal the stress of carrying these loads, day after day, for many years. Another cemetery, north of the city, reveals further hardships. Here, the skeletons are much younger. 93% of them died before the age of 25. Additionally, these youths are mostly female, outnumbering the male skeletons by 3 to 1. So, this northern cemetery seems to be the resting place for a community of women labouring in this part of town. They worked together, and they died relatively young. Why? According to forensic study, the women buried in this cemetery were also doing hard labour. Their skeletons show signs of stress, particularly on the spine and feet. 
This kind of damage suggests that the women were carrying heavy loads, and probably balancing them on the head. This is a common method for transporting goods. We see it in ancient Egyptian art, and it is still practiced around the world today. Unfortunately, this method does put pressure on the back and feet, causing damage to the bones. Apparently, the women buried in this cemetery were hauling heavy goods on their heads for long, hard days, and most of them were doing it quite young. What were these women carrying? Well, the location of this cemetery might give us a clue. The northern cemetery is relatively close to Arket Aten's stone quarries. The masons working here operated far from the Nile Valley, and they would have needed a steady supply of water. Choking dust from the stonework probably blanketed the area, and anyone working in this region would have needed a lot of fluid. It is possible that these women who carried heavy loads on their heads were the ones delivering water to the quarries. A steady stream of women trained from a young age might have delivered water from the River Nile to the limestone quarries near the cliffs. In that scenario, we can imagine a community of water women they worked together from an early age, and many of them died quite young. A hard life, by the sounds of it. So, we have two cemeteries at Amana, and both of them reveal hardships that strained the bodies of the people and stunted their growth. They suffered illnesses and deficiencies, and the stress of their work left marks on the bones. Men, women, and children were engaged in heavy labour, transporting goods and carrying loads. Looking at these cemeteries overall, it seems like many of the people in Arket Aten endured great hardships. The king's art and propaganda showed food and life in abundance, but the reality was deficiency and hardship. What was going on, and why was all this happening? In chapter 2, we explore some of the reasons for the difficulties these people endured. The answers are complicated, but one of them might be related to plague. That is chapter 2, after the music. See you in a moment. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty and about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today, and join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode, where I'd like to tell you a story. Exploring the cemeteries of Arket Aten, archaeologists and anthropologists can examine hundreds of bodies. 
skeletons in shallow graves provide clues to the lives of ordinary folk. Adults and children both appear in these cemeteries, and their remains give us clues to life at Arket Aten. The results are unpleasant, to say the least. Going back to the southern cemetery, we can see an interesting pattern in the burials. Many of the graves here hold more than one body. The same pit might be host to two or even three skeletons at once. This is unusual. Under normal circumstances, a cemetery should have many individual graves side by side. The South Tomb Cemetery does have that, but it also has clusters of multiple graves. Many burials have more than one person buried at the same time, which suggests that something happened to kill many people at once. The living had to cope with a wave of mortality, and that shows up in the pattern of their graves. As you can guess, the most likely explanation is epidemic. In episode 124, we saw how disease ravaged the lands north of Egypt. Kingdoms in Syria and Cyprus suffered the effects of plague, and they wrote to Akhenaten reporting on the illness. Soon after that, members of the pharaoh's family started to die in close succession. First T and then Meket Aten passed to the west one after another. So, it certainly seems like disease was hitting some regions, and digging into the cemeteries of Arket Aten, researchers have identified patterns which may fit that scenario. Studying the skeletons of adults and children, it seems that the people of Arket Aten suffered an unusually high mortality rate. In a normal ancient population, people were most likely to die in childhood and infancy, but as they grew older, they left that danger zone and had a slightly more reliable future. In other words, an ancient person was probably going to die young. If they survived that, then their chances of living a long time were relatively decent. But the cemeteries of Arket Aten show a consistent rate of death, from young people to adults. There is little change in the mortality rate once that danger period was passed. Instead, these cemeteries are full of people from all ages. This suggests that something was killing people more often than usual. Perhaps the most likely explanation for this is disease. The cemeteries of Arket Aten provide a wealth of scientific data, and the results indicate that people were dying at an unusually high rate. If we add everything up, malnutrition, stress, and the age of death, it seems quite likely that illnesses were a major factor in their deaths. If a plague was attacking the city, it would have had a terrible effect on the community. When a person gets sick, their body and physical resilience suffers. That weakening compromises the immune system, which makes the person weaker and more susceptible to other diseases in the future. In other words, the illnesses tend to build up over time, getting worse as the problem persists. If that kind of cycle, malnutrition leading to illness leading to malnutrition, was common, it might explain why the people of Amana have such damaged and sickly skeletons. Once people got ill, it was hard to shake it, and it was more likely that they would suffer again. The cycle continued, and the person got weaker, until eventually they died. So, many of these people may have died from an epidemic, a wave of illness that swept through the city. 
With their hard lives and general lack of nutrition, these people did not have strong immune systems. So when a disease hit the community, they were more susceptible than usual, and the cycle of illness weakening the body soon followed. Fun times for the people of Arket Aten. So it is possible that epidemics, waves of illnesses, contributed to the suffering of these people. If Egypt was dealing with a plague, then many individuals in many areas of the country would be suffering the same problems. In that scenario, farms would become less productive and the food supply would dwindle somewhat. For the city of Arket Aten, which depended on regular deliveries of food, this kind of crisis might have been a straw that broke the camel's back. Once illnesses took hold, people died. Then, food supplies dwindled, and the cycle began to repeat. As a result, the economic stability of the city, or even the kingdom, started to crumble. It all sounds familiar, somehow. The cemeteries of Arket Aten give us a glimpse at life behind the curtain. These graves are not glamorous, but they are immensely valuable. Such burials reveal life behind the monuments and art. The city was not a lifeless cluster of buildings, it was a community. On any given day, this region hummed with life in all its aspects. The cemeteries and the skeletons within help reveal some of those aspects. Of course, these are not just skeletons. These are the remains of Arket Aten's people. Each body tells a story of a person, a family, and a community, and their experiences would be recognisable today. Looking at the bones, we can imagine each person, and think about what they experienced. Their lives were as complicated, nuanced, and dynamic as your own. Although there is no art or monument to glorify them, their stories are written in their bones. Thanks to the painstaking work of scientists, these stories are beginning to live once more. These glimpses are just the tip of the pyramid, so to speak. There are many more stories to tell about life in this city, and we will cover these in future episodes. For now, it is time to wrap things up. In 1349 BCE, regnal year 14, the city of Arket Aten had grown into a vast urban centre. 30,000 people, maybe more, called the city home, and they worked in different parts of the region. Some jobs were terribly difficult, causing great stress on the people who did them. Arket Aten's inhabitants lived a hard-knock life, and those hardships left their mark. The cemeteries reveal the suffering behind Akhenaten's project. The pharaoh demanded this city, he initiated its development, and he oversaw its growth. His needs, his visions, his ideas, caused Arket Aten to grow, and he is responsible for the suffering that his people endured. Every damaged skeleton, every malnourished child, is ultimately a result of Akhenaten's project. We should remember this when we think about his reign. Even if the king's demands were not unique, and many rulers had caused this kind of suffering, it is still something that we need to acknowledge. Arket Aten, the horizon of Aten, was a hard place to live, for most of the population. Thank you for listening to this slightly shorter episode of the History of Egypt podcast. Stick around after the music for a brief epilogue in which we explore a really dark story found in these cemeteries. But first, I would like to thank Kevin, Neil, Terry, Ellen, and Linda 
my priest level backers on Patreon. Folks, your support is too generous. Thank you very much for helping me out, and I hope you enjoyed the show. On the next episode, we return to the historical narrative to deal with the next of the very confusing changes which were taking place in Akhenaten's royal house. The king had appointed a co-ruler named Smankkare. Now, that mysterious young man had to make his presence felt to establish himself in the kingdom of Egypt. But in order to do that, the young man had to deal with Nefertiti. That is episode 130, coming soon. For now, stick around after the music for the epilogue. The cemeteries of Arket Aten provide a vast record of difficulties in this city. Most of the problems stem from malnutrition or illness, and problems that affected people on a physical, biological level. But there are hints of some darker troubles. In one gruesome discovery, some of the bodies in this cemetery show evidence for torture. Five skeletons have marks or cuts on the bones of their shoulder, the damage left where somebody stabbed them quite deeply. The wounds are harsh but precise. They are angled in such a way that the blade would have gone into the shoulder but not punctured any vital organs. In other words, this was not a random strike. Someone did it carefully. This particular wound shows up multiple times, suggesting that a form of punishment was being practiced on these individuals. Archaeologist Professor Barry Kemp observes, quote, Men had been stabbed through the shoulder at an angle that pierced the muscle but avoided penetrating the body cavity and endangering life. This is most easily achieved if the victim is spread-eagled on the ground with arms spread out. End quote. Yikes. Bodies in the cemetery show marks of painful but not life-threatening injuries. Were they criminals, or was someone making an example of them? We cannot be sure, but they are a horrible marker of discipline or justice in Akhenaten city. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today.